This is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker and a career and executive coach. And today I am over the moon thrilled to welcome the dynamic duo of Tina Opie and Beth Livingston to the show. Tina and Beth will explain how to dismantle inequities and build crucial alliance through vulnerability, trust, empathy, and risk-taking so all women can advance in the workplace and create systemic change. Tina, Beth, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. So excited to be here. Oh my goodness. I love, love, love the two of you. You really are a dynamic duo. And we were chatting a bit before the show started about your incredible long-term relationship. And I would love for both of you to unpack how you came together, how you came together to write this book and the challenges that both of you faced. And maybe Tina, get us started and we'll go from there. Sure, sure. So Beth and I laugh a lot about how we met because we're like sisters and friend. We are friends now, but it was not love at first sight. <laughs> <laughs> it ha- so I had just finished giving a talk at our major convening organization, which is the Academy of Management, and I had stepped off of the stage and, and there was a queue of people and, and Beth came towards me and I didn't know who she was and I jokingly say she was sort of in my personal space and I was like, whoa, wait a minute, what? Who is this woman? And I did think this white woman. And I was friendly, but I was a little reticent to connect because in all honesty, Caroline, in the academy and in the workplace, I've been betrayed. And most of of the time it's been at the hands of white women. And so I had sort of this protective shield up, but fortunately we knew, we both knew someone who vouched for Beth. It was a fellow, another black woman who vouched for Beth. And then Beth and I started to get to know each other. And, and over time, we developed this really, really tight bond. And I'll, I'll let Beth sort of explain that from her perspective. Yes, I. it was funny because I knew Tina and we were in similar circles to some degree. And I'd heard her talk about something at, at, at this professional conference. And I just wanted to get to know her. I We knew similar people. I wanted to get to know her. And I was surprised a little bit at how you know, she was always polite, always kind, but I could tell that there was some sort of barrier. We weren't connecting on a very deep or authentic level about a lot of things. And it, it didn't really dawn on me at first why that might be. I was, I had a blind spot around how other women like myself may have contributed to a, a an academic or an academy-wide sort of culture of exclusion for Black women and for women who had the same experiences as Tina. And so I had to really be persistent in continuing to to build a relationship with her because it mattered to me because we shared these values. And I knew that if we had this sort of connection, that I would be the better for it. And so it's that persistence in trying to build trust between Tina and I that's really also reflected in this book where we said, okay, we can together make something better than either of us could do alone. And in many ways, I think uh, our sisterhood between Tina and myself really is a microcosm of the shared sisterhood that we talk about in the book. 
Well, you really are role models for what is possible, but I want to dig a little deeper because Tina, I hear you loud and clearly and Beth, you too. Beth, you went up, you know, admiring what Tina had said and and Tina, your defense went up. So how did you break down the barrier and begin to really earn the trust authentically? That's a great question, Caroline. And, And what I'll say is, so Beth was saying how she benefited from having a relationship with me. I also benefit from having a relationship with Beth. And I think what happened was once I had someone else who I trusted vouch for Beth's trustworthiness, I then had to do what we refer to as dig in the book. I had to surface my own assumptions and examine my own motivations and emotions and ask myself, what is it about Beth? What is it about you that's causing you to be resistant to connecting with Beth? Has Beth done anything to demonstrate that she's not trustworthy? And the answer was no. So then I had to challenge myself. And what I did was start to recognize that, okay, this is because I've been hurt by other people, but Beth has not done me harm. And so I am willing, because I do think she's a kind-hearted, brilliant woman, I'm willing to, to... work with connecting with her. And so we did little tests. You know, I invited her onto a couple of other papers. We actually ended up publishing work together. We then started talking about our other kinds of identities. So we jokingly said, I'm a Christian Black woman. Beth is an atheist white woman. We're both moms. We're both academics. We're both daughters and mothers. So we began to connect on other identities. And that really helped us to solidify how much we valued each other and how much we both valued equity. And once I could confirm that, that was all she wrote. It was, we, we were off to the races. And I had to do something similar in terms of, of digging. I, I had to come to terms with the fact that I think sometimes we often go into relationships thinking we should start from a place of trust. Like I'm showing up and let's start from the assumption that you should trust me. And, you know, because you know yourself so well and you know your values and your your beliefs and, and your you know, intentions, so to speak. And I had to really come to terms with the fact that no, not everybody has to meet me at the place of trustworthiness that is I, I have it without having to earn it. Sometimes you have to work for it. And sometimes that makes the relationship all the stronger. Beth, I'm so glad that you said you have to earn trust. I, I agree wholeheartedly. I think often people think it's just gratuitous and it's not. And the beautiful example that Tina shared, someone vouched for you, right? And that that helped her move the needle on on. Uh, earning that trust. But ladies, there is this incredible three-part process that you write about so beautifully in the book, the dig, bridge, and then acting. So um, heads up, who wants to start unpacking dig, bridge, and act? Yeah, dig is the first part of this. And Tina so eloquently talked about you know, how that looked for her in terms of our relationship. But it's really this introspection, this taking a moment to pause and think about your identities, who you are, and particularly how those identities, whether it's your race, your ethnicity, um, et cetera, are connected to power. And we talk about power expressly in the book because it's such an important part of DIG. It's such an important part of understanding who we are. We live in the societies, wherever, whatever, you know, state, country, you know, place that you live, there are historical 
components of power where people have access or control over certain resources. Those things shift and change a lot. And we have we are all collections of various identities that have different relationships to power. And so when you dig, you're doing that work to uncover what those identities are about yourself and their relationships to power. And that helps you to understand yourself and other people better. I also appreciate that it just, it takes time, right? It's not just expected or gratuitous. You're really earning the right to have this relationship. You are. It's the the work that you do in DIG is important work in and of itself. It is important to think and to uncover, to have those deep introspective moments to uncover things about yourself. And it does take work. It takes time to do that, but there's value in understanding ourselves better. But where we take it next is to the bridge level, which is taking it from this individual to the interpersonal. And Tina, do you want to describe that? Sure. So bridge is about creating authentic connections with people who are different than you in some way. And Caroline, you did a great job because by authentic connection, we mean four things. We mean that you have trust, empathy, risk-taking, and vulnerability. And those things may be different. So in the story that I shared of Beth and I, you could see that was what was really important for me was to develop trust with Beth. And Beth had to work really hard to develop that. And she also had to, she had to empathize with my position as someone from a historically marginalized group to recognize, hmm, those power dynamics might be why Tina is friendly, but she's not as warm or effusive as I've seen her to be with others. And I just mentioned a few words. Let me define what I'm talking about. So we use the term power, and power is just control or access to resources. And so when I talk about a historically marginalized or power-dominant group, power-dominant is collectively and historically a group where people have typically had more power and historically marginalized are groups that have typically and historically had less power. And so each of us tends to have identities that fall under one of those categories. So when I say that I'm a black Christian woman, I know that you have a global audience in the United States, at least, Christian is often considered to be a power dominant category. And if you don't believe me, look at the calendar for your workplace in the United States, and you will see that there are certain holidays that are just a given, but there are some religious holidays that are not an official part of the calendar. And that's because the power dominant group controls the norms, decides what is in, what's a good fit, what's professional. So that, that's very important to differentiate that. So um, Beth and I have been able to navigate that because I'm a Christian, Beth is an atheist. So there are some times where I have to listen and I have to demonstrate empathy for Beth and then gain Beth's trust. So in that way, the bridge process is very much about understanding the power that's attached to your collective group membership and being willing to move back and forth on those four, four components so that you can develop a, a long lasting relationship with your relational partner. Tina and Beth will be right back after a quick break. Hello there, it's Caroline Dowd Higgins. I know that hiring the right speaker for your event is a tremendous responsibility. You need a speaker who can customize content to meet your goals and someone who will work within your budget and engage your audience. 
Meeting planners around the world have recognized me for being easy to work with and uniquely suited to create dynamic programming for your needs. My style is high energy and engaging with practical takeaways that participants can implement in their lives and careers immediately. Whether you're looking to retain or grow top talent, create healthy workplace cultures, or prevent burnout in your organization, I create customized content to help recharge, reignite, or reinvent your career. From the boardroom to the training room or the convention hall, I will help your audience thrive. Let's talk about how I can help you achieve your special event goals. You can find me at carolinedowdhiggins.com. Okay, Tina, I wrote down trust, empathy, risk-taking, and vulnerability. And Beth, you spoke eloquently about that as well. Trust, empathy, and risk-taking seem a lot, I don't want to say easier, but maybe quicker to arrive at than vulnerability. Vulnerability is deeper, a whole different level. So talk to me about that. Yeah, vulnerability is such an important part of these authentic connections because it's demonstrative of your ability to grow, to be wrong. And that's a very hard thing to do. And it's hard to put yourself in a vulnerable position where you might be hurt. But it if we do not demonstrate that vulnerability in our connections, it's very difficult for us to build the trust that is characteristic of these authentic connections. And so when I am trying to demonstrate vulnerability, I'm acknowledging when I mess up. I'm learning how to apologize in a way that centers other people because we are inevitably going to fall short of what our goals are. I am demonstrating when I need to learn, when I need to grow. I'm listening. Tina talked about listening. If you're from particularly important, if you're from, uh, if you have an identity that's from a historically dominant group is I'm learning to listen and to recognize that maybe I'm wrong. And so we all have these components of the way we see the world. And it's important to challenge ourselves and to be vulnerable to the fact that we might have been misled or we might be wrong in those things. But it's such a critical part because if we can't be vulnerable with one another, that trust, it's very difficult to establish that trust. You say that the bridge is not the same as a friendship because it's possible to have an interracial friendship and never talk about racism, for example. So tell me more, what's required here to really have a bridge relationship? Yes, so shared sisterhood, as you said, is not the same thing as a friendship. Beth and I happen to be friends now, but the bridging that we initially did was centered on the value of equity. So that's the critical distinction. When we have differences or disagreements, we bring ourselves, both of us bring ourselves back to the value of equity. That may mean that I have to dig. And when I was doing the dig work when, when I first met Beth, I recognized, okay, it makes sense. Just like it makes sense sometimes. I, I mean, I, you know, there, if you remember before Uber, when people used to take pictures of the cab driver and the driver's license and send it to their girlfriends, many women that I know did that. It wasn't because they hated men. It was because that particular group has done harm to people who don't identify as men. And in the same way, it's adaptive for me to be protective as a Black woman in an academy where there's so much anti-Blackness, but I had to dig because I recognize that this protective mechanism that I've put in front of me, it might protect me in some instances, but it could also prevent sort of sunlight and water from getting to my skin. And if I had 
not done the proper dig work, I would have missed out on a really good initial bridge with Beth and then now a beautiful friendship and sisterhood. Thank you for that. That's a beautiful clarification. So let's move to ACT, advancing all women across the organization, for example, or beyond. So tell me more about that. ACT is the linchpin here. I think one of the things we want to make clear is that every component, every bucket in shared sisterhood is important in and of itself. Deep introspective, great. We should all be doing that. Building authentic connections, wonderful. They're valuable to do that in and of itself. But the purpose of our book is to create action towards equity. We are business school professors. We're academics and scholars and speakers on change in organizations and thinking about these topics at a very deep level. And so this was really our opportunity to say, how do we present solutions to this gender and racialized inequity that we see across so many workplaces and act as that component? And when we talk about ACT, we're talking about this collective action where people within an organization are able to band together to achieve equity goals. Um, The reason that we talk about this last is because we believe and we argue in the book with, you know, a a lot of different, you know, citations and endnotes, et cetera, that these bridges that we've built between one another – become the foundation for change. These are not transactional connections that will fall apart if we don't meet our goals. These are rich, authentic connections with other people who share our goals, and thus they're better able to withstand the difficulties of fighting for change in the workplace. So, Tina, I'll start with you, and Beth certainly chime in, but I want to honor both of your voices. You write about several different kinds of supporters, and specifically an ally, an accomplice, and my favorite, a co-conspirator. So tell us what the definition is for each and how how might we use these supportive roles? Well, Caroline, it's, it makes me feel really good to hear that your favorite is co-conspirator and then your listeners will understand right now what, what I mean by that. So an ally is someone who believes in equity in theory. And those were the people who, during the summer of 2020, went out and they might have bought How to Be an Anti-Racist or So You Want to Talk About Race or White Fragility. They may have bought those books. They may have written them up, you know, written in the notes, uh, lots of notes about them. But that's sort of where it it ended for them. It didn't translate into any action. So those are allies. You believe in equity in theory. This, the next level is an accomplice. And this is someone who believes in equity and is willing to act, but their actions are driven by their own assumptions and notions of what is necessary for the historically marginalized group that they're serving as an accomplice to. And that might look something like you may have a man who's saying he's an accomplice for women, and he says, okay, ladies, you need to strike. <laughs> you need to go on strike. And the women are sort of saying, wait a minute, that's we. I need to work. That's not what I want. But this accomplice may still advocate for striking. He's not listening to what the women have actually said that they want, which takes us to the co-conspirator, the premium, the platinum level, which is someone who believes in equity and who acts. And their actions are motivated and directed by the voices of, of the members of the historically marginalized group that they're helping. So this would look something like a man had been in meetings and he had talked to women and what they really wanted was a gender equity audit. This man takes that. And when he's in places and spaces where women are not, 
he advocates and brings their voices with him so that he can use his social and political capital to their advantage. So that's the critical distinction between an ally and accomplice and a co-conspirator. And I tried to provide some sort of behavioral indicators so that people can actually place themselves along that spectrum. I do appreciate that in the book. It, it really is clear because this is new for, for many people and, and, and being a co-conspirator takes um, intentionality. It does. And, and one thing I'll add, Caroline, this might be hard for people to hear, but you do not get to label yourself one of those three things. The, the, the determination of whether you're an ally, an accomplice, or a co-conspirator or something else comes from the members of the historically marginalized group that you're ostensibly helping. Thank you so, for that. Yeah, yeah, I think that's critical. So if I want to call myself a co-conspirator when it comes to religion, I don't get to say that. It has to be someone who has a different historically marginalized religion than I do. Thank you for that. That's incredibly important. So clearly we're, we want to get to act, right? We got to dig, we got to bridge, but we, we hope that, that people are going to have a bias to action. That may seem daunting for some, but as you write in the book, the two of you, little things add up. So where do we start? You've got this global listening audience. What's, what's an action step that you can recommend to get, to get us all started? I think, you know, getting getting to act, we talk a lot about what roadblocks might be preventing you from starting and where do you begin with that. And I think diagnosing where your roadblocks are is your first step. Like, what is it? Did you, did you as Tina said, did you buy a bunch of books a couple years ago and read them and then, yeah, kind of stalled out and didn't know what to do? Do you have rich relationships with people, with women, men, people who are different from you at work, um, but you really don't know how to change the workplace that you're in? Where is it that you're you're getting stuck? And I think having that conversation is the first place I would start because the diagnoses for what your next steps are kind of depends on where your roadblocks lie, if they're with Dig, Bridge, or Act. Awesome. Tina, anything to add? Yes, I know you have a global audience, Caroline, and I have heard people from outside of the United States say, well, this is a uniquely U.S. issue. Let's correct. Let's rec- One of the things you can do to act is recognize that, yes, this, is, this pertains to you, too. <laughs> it pertains to your organization because you may be advanced when it comes to diversity, equity and inclusion, but we can all get better. And one of the ways to do that is to talk to members of the historically marginalized group groups in your organization or listen to what they're perhaps already saying. And that can give you some really good ideas on how your organization can improve. I am so grateful for both of you. I have learned so much. I truly enjoyed your book. I devoured it. And I want to tell our global audience how they can buy it. It's called Shared Sisterhood, How to Take Collective Action for Racial and Gender Equity at Work. And of course, it's available on Amazon and all major book retailers, but I I celebrate that both of you really appreciate the independent bookstores, and I will recommend bookshop.org as another great place to buy the book. Tina Opie, Beth Livingston, thank you. Thank you. I'm so grateful for both of you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Caroline, for having us. And I wish you continued success with this amazing book. And if you like the show, subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or SoundCloud. And even better, leave us a review because this will help new listeners find us online. And a special thanks to my podcast colleagues, 
Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thanks for listening.